Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was February 2nd, 1709. After four years and four months of being stranded on an island called Masa Tierra, now known as Robinson Crusoe Island, privateer Alexander Selkirk was rescued. His rescuer was Captain Woods Rogers, who came along on a ship called the Duke. The Alexander that Rogers picked up wasn't much like the Alexander that was left on the island years before. Rogers later wrote that Selkirk, quote, so much forgot his language for want of use that we could scarce understand him, for he seemed to speak his words by halves. And that kind of transformation is to be expected when someone spends years adjusting to life alone on an island full of rats and feral cats. But Selkirk's story of being a castaway on an island in the South Pacific is a fantastic tale. So much so that it may have inspired Daniel Defoe's book, Robinson Crusoe. Alexander Selkirk was an adventurous seafarer with a bit of a troubled past. He was born in 1676 in Lower Largo, Scotland. Even though his father wanted him to be a shoemaker, Alexander had other dreams. He wanted to live out at sea. And in 1695, he did so running off to sea on a day he was supposed to appear in front of church elders for his transgressions. It's not known where he went, but he didn't stay away forever. In 1701, he beat his brother for laughing at him when he accidentally drank salt water. In the scuffle that followed, he also assaulted his father, his other brother, and maybe even his father's wife. He did go on to appear before the church elders, but apparently he'd had enough of the town. In 1703, he left on a privateering expedition to South America with buccaneer William Dampier. Touting his math and geography skills, he got a job as a navigator aboard the Sink Ports, and they set sail in September. But about a year after they left, conditions aboard the ship were miserable. The ship's captain, 21-year-old Lieutenant Thomas Stradling, was not liked, to say the least. And the ship was so leaky that the men had to keep pumping water out of it. Selkirk was sure the ship was near falling apart. So they went back to the island of Masatierra, where they had been before, and stocked up on turnips, goats, and other provisions. And after a month, the captain was ready to set sail again but the ship still hadn't been repaired, and Alexander was worried that the worm-eaten vessel would not make the open sea, and definitely not the battles it would have to endure. When Stradling made it clear that he was intent on setting off, Selkirk basically threw a tantrum, albeit a valid one. Alexander was left on the island with his bedding, a musket, a pistol, gunpowder, a hatchet, a knife, his navigation tools, a pot for boiling food, 
two pounds of tobacco, some cheese and jam, a flask of rum, his Bible, the Book of Common Prayer, and the 17 Spanish dollars he was entitled to. Alexander realized his mistake quickly and asked to be let back on the ship. But Straddling had a point to prove, and he left Alexander ashore. Selkirk thought it would just be a few days before someone would happen by the island and save him. But that was not the case. At first, Selkirk had a rough time. He had plenty food, like goat meat, fruit, and lobsters. But he was depressed with no one to talk to. And the island's rats were a nuisance. But after over a year on the island, he seemed to have become accustomed to life there. He domesticated the cats. He learned to hunt goats. He figured out how to make clothes out of goat skins. He built two huts. And he read the Bible. A lot. So when the ship, the Duke, sailed up to the shore on February 2nd, 1790, Alexander was used to a whole new way of life. And as it turned out, William Dampier was on board, bearing the news that yes, the sink ports had sank soon after Alexander was abandoned. Selkirk sailed around with Rogers for two years, then went back to London, where he became a local celebrity through telling accounts of his castaway experience. But the fun didn't last long. He couldn't really adjust to life in London again. He went back out to sea in 1720, but he died not long after of yellow fever aboard a naval warship. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about Alexander Selkirk, listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class called Alexander Selkirk, Who Was the Real Robinson Crusoe? Hey, you guys, if you can't tell, I am still hoarse from that same cold. I wish I could predict when I won't be hoarse anymore, but hopefully it will be soon. And thank you so much again for listening. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you tomorrow. Hello again, it's Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History class, a podcast that truly believes no day is boring. Today is February 2nd, 2020. The day was February 2nd, 1922. Ulysses, a novel by Irish writer James Joyce, was first published in its entirety. The book is regarded as one of the most important works in modernist literature, and it has a reputation for being long and difficult to read. People in Ireland and Britain and other places often pronounce it Ulysses, but I'm going to pronounce it Ulysses throughout the rest of the episode because I have an unrefined American accent. Throughout the early 20th century, Joyce wrote and published prose, poetry, and a play. Some of his most notable pre-Ulysses work includes Dubliners, a short story collection about middle-class life around Dublin, and A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Joyce's first novel. By the time this novel was published, Joyce had already began working on Ulysses. 
Poet Ezra Pound sent Margaret Anderson and Jane Heap, editors at the Greenwich Village-based literary magazine The Little Review, parts of Ulysses. They agreed to print the work serially and started doing so in 1918. But in 1920, the editors were arrested for publishing obscenity, largely due to Ulysses, but also because of the magazine's tone in general. The two were convicted in 1921, and they agreed to stop publishing Ulysses. But just a couple of months after their conviction, Sylvia Beach, an American who had an English-language bookstore in Paris called Shakespeare and Company, offered to publish the novel. Joyce set to work on writing the rest of the book. He finished writing in October of 1921, though revisions continued throughout the rest of the year. On February 2, 1922, the first edition of 1,000 copies went on sale. The book was paper-bound, with a blue cover with white lettering. 750 copies were normal issue. 150 numbered copies were printed on a larger format handmade paper, and 100 were signed by choice. Each of its 18 chapters are named after an episode of Homer's epic Odyssey. Most of the novel follows Leopold Bloom, the main character, around Dublin over the course of one day. Leopold is written as a modern counterpart to Odysseus, while the other two central characters, Stephen Dedalus and Molly Bloom, align with the mythological Telemachus and Penelope. The book is known for its use of the stream of consciousness technique, its experimentation with language and form, its literary allusions, its robust characterizations, and its humor. The book was immediately successful. Gertrude Stein, Ernest Hemingway, and W.B. Yeats were some of the book's notable early purchasers. Within 18 weeks, the first edition had sold out. Beach published another edition each year until 1935. In the U.S., the book was banned because it was considered pornographic, but the ban was lifted in 1935, and Random House became the U.S. publisher of Ulysses. While Joyce had made a little money from the serialization of Ulysses, the publication of the book was much more lucrative. He settled into a middle-class lifestyle and began work on the text that was eventually called Finnegan's Wake. Over the years, Ulysses has been subject to plenty of analysis by its fans, critics, and scholars alike. The value of Joyce's impact on modern and postmodern fiction has been debated, and Ulysses has been considered too complex and inaccessible. But the book is recognized as a pivotal text in literary history. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you know you already spend too much time on social media, spend some of that time with us at T-D-I-H-C Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Email still works. Send us a note at thisday at iheartmedia.com. We're here every day, so you know where to find us. Bye. Bye.